Hello, this is Gihan Pereira. Welcome to another issue of Focal Point, the podcast where you learn about all the latest tools, tricks and techniques of making the most of the internet in your business and your life. As usual, my co-host is Chris Putney. Hello, Chris. How are you going? G'day, Gihan. How are you? I'm well. I'm happy. I'm happy. We're using Skype again, uh, as we did last time, and we found the sound, the recording quality was quite good. And I just noticed, Chris, there are 7 million Skype users online at the moment. Yes, it's growing uh, rapidly, isn't it? I think we were saying there are approximately 5 million during our last time we used Skype. So, yeah, it's growing in popularity. Which is an amazing thing. We should probably do a podcast about Skype because you can use it for chat, for audio and video. And it's a really powerful tool for just communicating now, isn't it? Right. I, I didn't know about the video aspect of Skype. That's, um, that's interesting. It is. And I, in fact, I was speaking to a client of mine this morning who was talking about the fact that he was using Skype video very successfully now to communicate with his clients in the US. And this is from Australia. So it's all around the world. And uh, he has, and he says the secret for him was two things. One, Skype itself has improved his technology, in his opinion. And secondly, he's now using um, an ADSL2 provider in Australia, which means it gets very fast upload times. Right. Yep. That would make that. That's definitely going to be needed for uh, video conferencing, isn't it? And I, I think that's a. I think that's the biggest thing, the biggest factor in his favour at the moment. Right. Yeah. And uh, with the with the ubiquity of um, ADSL2, broadband access, uh, things just going to get. Uh, very interesting, in that, aren't they, in the future? Well, I think this is one of the things that's changed in the last few years, Chris. Part of the reason of the popularity of Web 2.0 and some of the things we've been talking about is the fact that people now have fast internet access and they can do things like podcasting. Um, because podcasting was something you could do before, but it was hard for people to download your podcast because it would just take such a long time on that's dial-up right. connections. That's right. That's that's exactly it. And uh, yeah, the same goes for things like YouTube as well, don't they? It's been uh, facilitated by uh, growth in broadband access. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's right. Um, so we were going to talk about something else today. That's right. Enough about uh, the advantages of the internet. We're going to talk about uh, one of its pitfalls today, in particular, um, a thing, a phenomenon known as phishing, which is spelt P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. Um, but it's, a, it's the idea of, I guess it's in a way related to identity fraud, where people pretend to be somebody that they're not in order to try and get your identity. That's right. It's a kind of confidence trick, isn't it? To say, uh, well, how does it work? Let's, let's, uh, let's give an example of it well, for our well, listeners. Let's take a, a by coincidence. Uh, just this morning, and we were going to talk, have this podcast about fishing this afternoon. Just this morning, somebody rang me and said, oh, my name's Cassandra and I'm bringing you from Westpac. And to continue, I need to have your date of birth, please. And that's an example of a fishing technique, isn't it? That's somebody right. Representing somebody else, and they're ringing up and they're going to tell you something horrible about your bank account and so they go through date of birth and then your name and address and eventually they ask for your bank details and password. So that's fishing in the real world. As it turned out, this woman was from Westpac. Right. Well, you think she was? Yeah, well, actually what happened was I said, no, I'm not going to give you the details because I've no idea who you are. And she said, well, so I'm from Westpac. And uh, for, for me, that wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. So I mean, she said, well, how do I know? And she said, okay, well, call this number. It's a call center, 
and give you details and then you'll, well, you'll have somebody else help you, which is exactly what I did. And I did get help and it was actually something that I had to address with my credit card. But it, I think I did the right thing by just not trusting somebody ringing up and saying, we're from, hello, I'm from the government, I'm here to help you. That's right, yes. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, we might come back to this as we get through this talk on fishing because Westpac uh, um, are quite vigilant with regard to online fishing but they, and, and advising people how to deal with it online. But uh, when it comes to uh, people calling you out of the blue from Westpac, they think it's sufficient just to uh, say, well, I'm from Westpac. Yeah, that's right. And uh, they go out of their way to, as you say, online say, we will never ask you for your password. We will never ask you for confidential information in an email. And yet they're quite happy to do it over the phone. That's right, yeah. It seems, uh, seems a bit odd. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, so the concept of phishing is that that's an example of how it happens, if you like, in the real world. In the virtual world, on the internet, it usually happens by email. Somebody, that's right. Somebody masquerades as a bank or eBay or PayPal or some organization where you've got an account. And usually it's an account that you've got that allows you to spend money or pay money to someone. That's and right. uh, they'll send you an email saying, you know, your account's been compromised, go to this website and type in your name and password again just so we can verify it. And, that's uh, right. I guess that's uh, the, broadly, that's what phishing is about. Yeah, except that when you go to that website, it doesn't happen to be the organisation that uh, the email is purporting to be. It's a um, fake website where you enter your username and password and then that uh, that fraudster has the credentials to go and go to PayPal or wherever it was they were masquerading as and then access your account unbeknownst to you. That's right. And some of the phishing scams are, are very sophisticated. I mean, some of them are very amateurish as well. Like you get an email supposedly from PayPal, which is full of spelling mistakes and grammatical mistakes, and, and you know it's a scam. That's right. Uh, PayPal usually can spell That's most, right. most of their emails very, very yes, well. except for the word phishing. <laughs> Um, but there are others which are much more sophisticated. So the email looks like it's from PayPal. It has a PayPal logo on there. In fact, some of them have just copied the standard PayPal message and just changed the body of it. So it has a normal copyright, the footer, the, the trademark, everything like that. And even when you go to the website, it looks like the PayPal website. And you've got to be pretty clever to detect that it's not. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, something we should advise people to do is just go to Google and type in um, phishing quiz and there are a whole lot of websites that will quiz you. They'll, they'll give you some of these uh, fraudulent, uh, fraudulent email messages and you'll still see how professionally they've been done, some examples of them. And you go through and you say, yes, I think this one's legitimate or no, I think this is a phishing, uh, a phishing example. Um, and they, some of them, as you say, are really sophisticated. They do look uh, like they're the real deal from eBay or from PayPal. So, yeah, type phishing quiz into Google and um, go and uh, test yourself. See if you can spot the legitimate messages uh, from those that are actually fraudulent phishing messages. Right. That, that's interesting. I've never done that, but I think that would be worthwhile doing. Yeah, I, I ran one this, uh, this uh, just after lunchtime today, and um, I got two wrong. Uh, fortunately, they were what, false negatives. I thought they were phishing messages, but they turned out to be legitimate uh, queries from um, the organisations. Right, which is actually the safest side of the fence to be on, right? That's right. It's like, like That's right. Extremely suspicious. Yes, like, yeah, just like my 
poor Cassandra from Westpac, who was a bit annoyed that I thought that she might have been a scammer. But it's better that than actually being gullible and falling for a scammer. That's right, that's right. So what sorts of things can, what sort of measures do you take, Gihan, to um, protect yourself from online fishers as opposed to the Cassandras of the world? I, I guess there's a, there's a couple of things, Chris. So one of them is just, just be aware. So just know that banks and PayPal and eBay, they, they tell you that they're not going to ask you for their password for a reason because they just know that it's very hard for people to tell whether it's a legitimate request or a scam. And I know that most of the time, any email that I get that asks me for a password is a scam. That's right. So I think that the first thing is just to be ultra-cautious, just be con- just err on the conservative side, as you said, a false negative is better than actually making a mistake and being too gullible. This is one area where it's better not to trust the emails that you get. That's right, because as we pointed out, the emails, the, the fishes are very sophisticated, and so your last line of defence is is being cautious and being conservative and, and not trusting uh, not trusting those messages. And I know that has bit me in the bum once, Chris, because recently I had a problem with one of my credit cards where the bank blocked it because they thought there was a fraudulent transaction on it. There wasn't, but they thought that there was, so they to be on the safe side, they blocked it, and they were unable to get hold of me by phone, and when I eventually got through to them, they said, oh, we sent you an email, but because I just get so many scam emails from banks, or people purporting to be from the banks, I must have just deleted it, so I just missed out on that. So there is a a danger or a risk to that as well, but I think it's a much smaller risk than being too gullible. You're right. Because I had exactly the same thing happen to me. Well, not exactly. Uh, as it turned out, the the legitimate message from my bank ended up in my um, spam folder. So I, I never even saw it. It was it was automatically classified as spam, um, primarily because when I have received messages from fishers from other banks, I've marked them as spam, and so my filters have learned that that kind of message is. Is, is a spam message, but ultimately Westpac sent me a letter in the mail, and so I, I got that message, you know, through the snail mail. So, yeah, although uh, it was a, there was a bit of a, of a delay, but because of that conservatism, um, eventually the message got through. That's right. And you actually pointed out something really important, Chris, that you got those spam, those scam messages earlier from that looked like they came from certain banks, and you can't actually tell by the email address because the scammers can set it up to come from any email address they like. Indeed. So you mark it as spam, and then any legitimate email from the bank also gets marked as spam. That's right, yep. Um, And the other thing is that the websites that they take you to, even if you, like, sometimes they're not very clever, and the website might look okay, but you look at the web address, the URL, and you can obviously tell that it's not from that organisation. But there are times when... Um, they're very clever, and the web, even the web address looks legitimate. So you see, for example, websites where, like let's take Microsoft as an example, where instead of a O, they use a zero, and they register the, the domain name Microsoft.com with a zero in place of one of the O's, and uh, they use that for the scam. So you go to the Microsoft web, what looks like Microsoft.com, but in fact it's the scammer's website. That's right, yeah. So most of them use this method of... of uh a dodgy URL, the, the fraudulent websites, at, obviously at some domain name that's not westpac.com or microsoft.com. 
So that's one of the first tip-offs that you can get if you're reading one of these mails and you either click on click on the, the link or your um, your email client displays it in its status bar what the when you hover the mouse over it. You can check that what you're hovering over, what you think you're about to click on and the actual domain name of where you're going to end up match. That's right, because that's one of the things the scammers do, isn't it? They, it actually looks like a real web, uh, real web website, but in fact the link goes somewhere completely different. That's right. Yeah. The the other thing that you might do, Chris, is that if you decide that you you really, really, really think this is a legitimate email message, but you're not quite sure, so you're 99% sure, you should always don't don't click on the link. I guess always type the web address into your web browser. Because if you type it in by hand, you're not at the mercy of whatever that link might be. You're not going to misspell it or mistype it or click uh, click on something which is actually a secret, another link behind it. Yeah, that's in doing that quiz this afternoon, one of the legitimate messages, and it seems to be one of the policies that uh, organisations are pursuing, is to suggest just not exactly that, but to copy and paste the URL that they've provided um, into the uh, address bar of your browser. So rather than clicking on the link in the email message, copy and paste that URL from the message into your uh, into your browser's location bar and, and away you go. And so I think it was a PayPal one. That was one of the ones that I classified as a phishing example. It said, copy and paste this URL into your browser, not don't click on it. Yeah, and I guess the other thing that follows from that is you're asking about ways to protect yourself against it, Chris, and I think one of them is just to, just to see the actual legitimate messages that you get. So I know that I do occasionally get messages from my bank. Um, they have my frequent flyer points or my, you know, my whatever reward points I've got, so I get those sort of messages and just get used to the idea of what the legitimate messages look like. And you'll realise very quickly that they don't have things like web addresses that you can click on. If they show a web address, it has it's just in plain text which forces you to do exactly what you just said. You have to copy and paste it because they realise that if people got too used to the convenience of clicking on links in legitimate mail, they'll get to, they could fall into the trap of doing it with phishing as well. Yeah, that's right. That's something else that was pointed out uh, in this quiz this afternoon that they'll the legitimate email messages will contain something like, as you just said, your email, your um, frequent flyer um, number, or if it was um, from PayPal, they wouldn't say, dear PayPal user, as most of the phishing mail messages say, they would say, dear Chris Putney, dear Gihan, how are you going, rather than uh, just some generic introduction. That's right. So that I guess that's an early warning sign that if you get a generic message, it's probably a scam. That's right. But I've also found, Chris, that some of the scammers now have your your names as well because one of the ways that scammers and spammers collect email addresses is they now send viruses out which attack computers and look at their users' address books and then send the address book back to the spammer or to the scammer, which means that the the spammers now have access to everything in somebody else's address book. So it may be that you're doing everything right to protect yourself against viruses, but somebody else who's got your name your phone number, your email address, your postal address even, if yeah. their computer gets infected, they could unintentionally be revealing that information to spammers and scammers. Yes, I've heard that targeted attack notice called spear phishing, where they, um, as you say, get uh, target an individual by finding out some information about them in the first place so that they can engineer uh, a much more targeted attack that uses their name and address and personal details.
And, and the trouble is that, you know, don't take it personally. They're not this, that you might think, okay, well, I'm just running a normal business and there's nothing that the scammers can get from me or I'm just a normal consumer. There's, there's no, not much money in my bank account. But the spammers and the scammers aren't going around looking for victims that have got a lot of money because of the power of the internet and the power of this, this, the software that's available now, they just do it indiscriminately. They just get an address book and send it to everyone. And if one or two people respond and they fall for it, they get the spammers and the scammers get some money. That's right. It's, you know, target a million and if only 1% of them um, respond, then it's still, you know, it's still a hefty haul, isn't it? That's right. So you can't just assume that just because you're not in the public eye and you're not prominent and you're not rich, that you won't get targeted. Um, the fact is you're not being targeted as such. You're just being, you're just part of the scattergun. That's right. And the fact that you and I have been targeted so many times and don't have very much money is proof of that. <laughs> That's right. It's because I've been taking all your money off you, responding to, the, to my fishes. I was, I was reading that the, the damage, the estimated damage caused by fishing back as far as 2004, 2005, in the US alone, reading here on the Wikipedia page, says that uh, over a million users suffered losses. So um, over a million people fell for these kinds of attacks and almost a billion dollars was, uh, US dollars, was uh, the, the cost to them of those attacks. And, a, and an additional two billion to the, the businesses that were targeted as well. So that's, you know, that's a staggering figure. Yeah, it's an amazing amount of money and probably that's an, that's an underestimate because many of these organizations like the banks and like eBay and PayPal, they don't want people to know that their customers have been targeted by mm. by scams because it erodes the confidence in those organizations, even though it's got nothing to do with them. Yeah, yeah. So I think it, just in general, like fraud figures tend to be on the low side and they could be many times bigger than that. That's right. Absolutely. So it's, it, it, it is a real problem. But what yeah. do you think, uh, we've talked about some of the the human solutions to this, Chris, which is just being aware of what sort of legitimate emails are going to look like, doing the copying and pasting manually, um, just not responding to those messages. What are some of the technical solutions? Have you come across any of them or do you use any of them? Yeah, a few. Uh, um, one I've already mentioned is that um, a lot of these messages end up in my spam folder by default because um, I've marked them as spam in the past and, and my filters learn to classify incoming messages that are like that as spam, but a few still get through. And the particular mail client that I use is a program called Thunderbird. And if you go to click on a hyperlink in a message and the hyperlink itself, the text of the hyperlink is a URL, but it's trying to take you to a URL that's from a different domain or different from the one you're clicking on, it pops up a, a little warning saying, you know, you might think you're going to Microsoft.com, but you're going to my, microsift.com yes. or something. Then it uh, it says, you know, do you really want to do so? Um, so th that's that's a, a second line of defence. If it gets past the spam filters, then Thunderbird has uh, uh, this anti-scam um, technique built into it. Uh, if you persist in going to microsift.com, then uh, my browser, which is um, Firefox, has also has um, built-in anti-phishing uh, filter in it in that it's got a blacklist of known phishing websites. So if microsift.com happens to be um, listed on that blacklist, then um, it pops up another warning 
um, saying, you know, <laughs> do you really want to go there? And then uh, <laughs> if you say, yes, I do, then really all bets are off. <laughs> so, right. So, so there, are, there are three lines of defense from, from a technical point of view. My spam filters, then uh, Thunderbird's anti-scam filter, and then... Um, my, uh, and then Firefox has uh, a list of, ant- of phishing websites built into it as well. Okay, and is that list of sites, is this something that it goes to a server somewhere to check up so that as new sites get added, your browser automatically knows about them? That's right. It's, it's a dynamic list maintained by the Mozilla Foundation that uh, are responsible for Firefox. Okay, and you mentioned Thunderbird as well, which is not something I use, but that's also part of the Mozilla uh, package, isn't it? It is, yes, that's right. That's their, that's their mail client that the Mozilla Foundation have put together. So, actually, we must, we should tell people how to get access to that then. It's a free web browser, free email program. Um, what's the best place they can go to download it? I think it's just mozilla.org would probably be yeah. the front, front page for that, but we can, we can look into that. Uh, that, that I know mozilla.org works. I think even mozilla.com does. So okay. it's M-O-Z. Z, if you're American, M-O-Z-I-L-L-A dot org or dot com. Definitely org will work. And uh, it's a free web browser. It's open source, which means that the, it's been developed by the Internet community, not by any particular organization, uh, under the umbrella of the Mozilla, what's it called, the foundation? I think it's a Mozilla Foundation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but but part of the reason of part of the reason for its stability and security, as well as all these extra features, is the fact that it's open source. So it's not just owned by one company, but thousands of programmers around the world have examined the the programming code behind it to to look for things like possible fraud, uh, possible bugs in there that could lead to security violations. That's right. As as has happened, I mean, that's happened a few times. A few. Um Vulnerabilities have been uh, declared or found, and um, and uh, I've got the automatic update switched on. So um, a few days later, a, a patch comes through, and uh, a new version with that vulnerability closed um, um, is sent to me. Yes, and and for me as well, Mozilla is my web browser of choice. I have Internet Explorer because a few sites don't work, a few websites don't work under mm. Mozilla or various web browsers, sometimes the other way around, in fact. But um, Mozilla would be my, my web browser of choice for 99% of my web browsing, so I'd highly recommend it for everyone, uh, for everyone, not just for some of the scam prevention that's built into it, but definitely for that as well. Yeah. What uh, does your mail client then, your email client, I use, with any defences? I use Outlook. And uh, oh, yeah. what I do, Chris, is something slightly different. That I have a, I use a program called MailWasher, um, and I'm not sure of the website, but we'll put it up on the blog uh, where we post the, this this recording and this podcast. Uh, I think it's MailWasher.com. But what MailWasher does, it it shows me all my email before I download it into my computer, so I can see what's sitting on my ISP's inbox, and it too has a blacklist of websites and uh, email addresses that it knows about are scams or spam sites. So some of them it will automatically block for me. Okay, right. And I can create my own filters as well. I can say if, if an email comes from this web address or with this in the title, automatically delete it or auto- automatically block it. Right. It doesn't help much for the phishing because the phishing emails could be real emails. You really have to open them to find out. So you can't tell just by looking at the subject or the, the sender's address, but it does help for blocking a lot of spam. Right, yep. 
Right. So, so, but ultimately, your ultimate defence is is your own um, is being cautious and being cautious and sensible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes down to that that one of the problems with using technology and relying on the technology is that it's not never a hundred percent reliable. But the more you use it, the more you rely on it, and the more you believe it will be. Mm. And uh, so it's always being being alert. So when somebody rings you up and says, "I'm from Westpac," or "I'm from somewhere," just be alert and just. Don't automatically respond to them just because they've got that that seeming authority. Yeah, uh, and it's really that authority principle at work that people people tend to trust people or are influenced by people in authority, and it's, it's a sensible thing to do most of the time. It's a shortcut. You can't go to a doctor and ask to look through his or her. You can't you can't send them through a medical t- examination every time. You know, a test to find out that they're qualified every time. You go and see them. You assume that because they're wearing a white coat and they've got a stethoscope, that they're an authority. But sometimes that can fool you, and sometimes con people can fool you as a result of that. Indeed. Yeah. So we've come to the end of another program. Um, Are there any final words you'd like to say, Chris, about fishing? Yes. uh, Well, I think uh, just in summary, your ultimate defence is being cautious and sensible. But it helps to have a few technical um, technical barriers in place as well. So look into perhaps Firefox and Thunderbird and MailWash and, and um, also go and try out a few quizzes. And just if you haven't come across phishing, go and type um, phishing quiz into Google and uh, see what it is that you're up against and familiarise yourself with the problem. That's right. And again, I'll just remind people that phishing is spelled P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. And you're right, you're right. It's uh, There's part of it is education. And doing the quiz to find out perhaps how little you know is a really good first step in education in an area like yep. this. So again, uh, anyone who would like to look at the blog, we have a blog that's attached to this um, to this podcast. And you can either subscribe to the podcast or listen to the blog uh, at com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N. P-E-R-E-R-A dot com forward slash podcast. And on there you can subscribe to the podcast. You can visit the blog where you can also see links to all the websites that we talk about, as well as looking at all the old programs that we've published on this podcast. So that's Focal Point for another couple of weeks, Chris. Thanks again for your time. Thank you, you, Will do. Bye for now. Bye-bye.